0: This week on the National Talkie League, we talk stampede animals. We give you all the fake news that's fit to print. And we talk about phone scams.
1: That's Dave Ware. I'm Roger Kincaid. We're two guys who are fond of strong opinions loosely held. If that works for you, you're listening to the right podcast. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Wow, it's a landmark episode, today. This is episode 20. It is the 20th episode of the National Talkie League podcast. And by the way, it is the only time that we will broadcast or podcast, rather, a 20th episode of the National Talkie League. We don't have plans to do this one again.
0: It's fantastic. It's interesting. It's exciting. What could be better than 20?
1: Well, now, hang, you know, if, if Neil deGrasse Tyson were in the room, he'd have a long, long list of things. It could be better than 20. And uh, a couple things, I'm, my, my mind is kind of racing on just on the very number 20 right now. You ever notice how, when you went to the United States as like a 21 or a 22-year-old, how much three years of experience at the bar uh, made you more mature? Did you ever notice that?
0: I, I remember going there when I was 20 and then suddenly going, what, you won't let me drink? What? Oh, this is
1: weird. <laughs> I went to Vegas when I was like 22, and I saw all of these like 21-year-old, like really young, like guys my age basically, just like blowing their brains out. It was like they couldn't believe it, and I was uh, I was in that position to go, yeah, I remember my first beer too. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And mean it. I like it. Uh, thanks so much for all your support. Listening to us to get us to this uh, 20th episode, Dave and I have a lot of fun putting the National Talkie League podcast uh, together every week. For you to listen to and to share with your friends if you find it valuable and worthwhile and also to leave us lovely five-star reviews uh, on iTunes or or, or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. And that stuff means a lot to us. So thank you very much.
0: Do you want to hear my very favorite review that we have to date, Roger?
1: Bring it on, Dave.
0: All right. Can I use the username? I guess they publicly posted it. That seems all right. Yeah, Yeah. why, Why not? Yeah. All right, so I'm not sure who this is, but the username is Tach, T-A-C-H, 1978. So they're younger than me, probably. All right. All right, so it's my very favorite review. Here goes, ready? Honestly, it's just two reasonable and funny guys talking about things that interest them, but somehow it just works. <laughs> Highly recommend.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. That's <laughs> probably, we should actually just take that and use that as like the sub- headline on our website <laughs> nationaltalkieleague.com
0: guys if i'm being honest it's just two guys talking about things
1: <laughs> but it works i mean you could tell you could count after listening for about 11 minutes you'll notice there are two distinct voices and that's it <laughs> and are they what are they doing are they drawing are they making things with plasticine no they're just talking about things they care about
0: and of course we're not we're not mocking you TAC, nineteen seventy-eight. We just we liked it the way you phrased it.
1: So. But don't you think there should be more reviews like that? Like do yes. you remember when you saw the word poignant on a movie review? Like the poster was there and said, like quote, poignant New York Times. You're like, what? What's not poignant? Do you ever go to like <laughs> do you ever look at any art anywhere or go to any movie and not do a thinking? <laughs>
0: As a man in my 40s, the kind of review that instantly pops to mind that I would want to see is something like, It was much better than Cats. I'll see (laughs) it again and again.
1: Do
0: you know that reference?
1: Uh, I think – no, I don't. Tell me.
0: It was a Saturday Night Live sketch about a hypnotist show on Broadway. And so he hypnotized everyone (laughs) in the audience to think that his show was better than Cats. And so everyone who came out would say, It was much better than Cats. I'll see it again and again.
1: I like it. I referenced that. That's a bit of an obscure reference, I think. Like, uh, if I think Saturday Night Live references that stick all relate to, um, like, I was going to say Opera Man, but maybe that's not even good. Well, Rob Schneider characters making <laughs> copies.
0: Who was your first Saturday Night Live cast, Roger?
1: Uh, yeah. So I, the way that I think that you you sort of generally generationally establish yourself in the Saturday night live time frame is to mention who the host of the weekend update was. So for me, okay. it's Dennis Miller. That's my first cast.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I was around before Dennis for sure.
1: So like, who's in that mix? That was, a, hang on a second. I want to get to yours in a sec, pal, but the Dennis Miller weekend update era. Right. So who's on, who's on the cast? You got like David Spades in there. Chris Rock is in there.
0: Yeah. Farley later on.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess you'd have kevin later on kevin Nealon would be in there yeah adam sandler would have been in there yeah
0: yeah so we're probably mixing people together because the good ones stand out i remember uh i remember martin short being on there and christopher guest not as the the uh the anchor but on the show uh billy crystal i remember being a cast member uh who else? Julia Louis Dreyfus was on there for oh, a very God. short time. Robert Downey Jr. was on there. Anthony Michael Hall. That was not a good cast. It didn't last very long, those guys. Did you ever? Julia, Funny people, but not good on the show.
1: Right. That show ebbs and flows, hey? Like, yeah. do you still watch Saturday Night Live?
0: No, I mostly just catch the clips that people post on Facebook. It's kind of the best way to watch it. You get the two good clips of the night and you get to watch them and not stay up.
1: Right. Uh, how could we forget Phil Hartman, by the way, and Mike oh. Myers? Um, Wayne's world. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think about like what year that would have been that I started watching, um, Saturday Night Live. Probably, I think like the late eighties. So 1988, not- season 13, Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn, Phil Hartman, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, and Kevin Nealon. Man, these are like all star teams of comedy when yeah. you run them down from the eighties.
0: I was just uh, mentioning on Facebook the other day to show how old I am now that Austin Powers is now 20 years old. It's 20 years since that movie came out.
1: I saw that. Can you think of a movie that was like that funny? Like, I don't know what it was, but there was that movie and uh, Ace Venture, A Pet Detective. And both yep. of those I saw on opening night. And I, I don't think I've ever laughed harder at a movie <laughs> than I did at those two movies.
0: I was watching some old Jim Carrey movies. I watched uh, me, myself, and Irene the other day, like maybe yesterday. Right. And I remembered this movie as being insanely funny. The first 20 minutes, I remember everything that happens. And after that, I was like, I don't remember anything in this movie after the first 20 minutes. Maybe I just watched the first 20 minutes.
1: You know, the, the that's the funny thing about Jim Carrey movies, right? Like. Everything I just said about a uh, uh, Ace Venture a pet detective can't take anything away from that. But I could not watch that movie again. I tried to watch that movie like seven or eight years later, and the plot is just the entire plot of that movie is really just an excuse vehicle for all of the jokes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> right?
0: So, what's your what's your go to comedy? What comedy could you watch again and again? Um, hmm. See, I, for me one of them is Animal House. I've watched Animal House like, a okay. boat of times and I could watch that one a great number of times again, I'm pretty sure.
1: See, I think I have a hard time watching movies again and again. Like
0: it's like the it's like the ones that come well back when we used to have cable, you would just be flipping around and you'd find a movie and you'd be like, "Oh, I got to watch this. I've seen this. This is a good movie."
1: Right. I mean, th- there's the only movies that I can really that I really like have an appetite to put in again and again are uh the Bourne trilogy. And James Bond movies. I said, Well, no, not even James Bond movies. Like I there's a time when I had them all downloaded, and I think I watched The Man with the Golden Gun, and then I thought to myself, that's this hard drive space is valuable. I can do some deleting here.
0: You're talking to someone who bought them all in Blu-ray last year.
1: (laughs) But like I get it. Like this is what's really weird to me is is that when I encounter people who do very normal things like have music on in the house when they're at home, I always think, that's such a great idea. I wish I was into that habit. But it's like my house, is it it's always has the soundtrack of a library running.
0: Ah, that's funny. And you're kind of a music guy, so that surprises me a little. And you have lots of Bluetooth speakers in your home.
1: I know, right? You could um, easily
0: solve this problem. I,
1: this is a very solvable problem. My wife just got the uh, – I don't even know what it's called. Is it Alexa where you say, okay, Google, and then you tell it to do some shit for you and it makes pancakes or whatever?
0: Yeah, the, Alexa is the, uh, Amazon one, isn't it? I have no idea. Yeah.
1: That's, I think you're right. Whatever the Google, like Google Home, I think it's just called Google yeah, Home anyway. I think you're right. Yeah. So, you, so, you know, it's just there and it's listening to you, which is totally creepy, by the way, cause you know that they're like gathering whatever the hell they want. But, um, yeah. So I just can kind of stand up in the living room and say, okay, Google put on some smooth jazz and then it will. And then her taste in music isn't that good.
0: Who the Google or your wife?
1: Google. <laughs> and, well, yes, correct, Dave. No, um, no. Google's taste in music isn't that good. Like, you could get specific and say, "Play Taylor Swift," and then like song title or album or whatever. Which I know, but I'm not going to embarrass myself by saying. Uh, and it'll do that. But if you just are like, "Hey, play some country," it'll play some like c- crap. <laughs> they won't, it won't even play good country.
0: Yeah, there's something crazy about that. Like, my kids are much better at at navigating and using the voice commands like my younger my eight-year-old son will call up things he'll be like search in spotify find this or you know go into plex and open this show and i'm like oh i didn't know you could do that that's kind of cool
1: wow you use plex by the way did i just catch that
0: yes yeah
1: i think that's the best one i love plex yeah me too and then you get a fan do you do what's your setup though because i just watched i just uh uh stream it from my ipad from my computer to my ipad and then airplay it on my apple tv that sounds more complicated than it is it's really easy
0: do you have the newest
1: apple tv no i don't get the newest apple tv
0: and you can just run plex directly off there you don't have to stream it from your phone
1: all right that sounds better than what i'm doing right now
0: maybe a little little i don't know if you ever run into hiccups or slowdowns or anything if not you're probably good the way you are
1: very infrequently um, man, we got a lot to get to on uh, this episode of the National Talkie League podcast, Dave. Episode 20, did we cover that off?
0: We did mention it was episode 20.
1: Um, do you want to – can we just get something out of the way, though, first, like right off the bat? May I <clears> – <throat> let me clear my throat, if you will. Uh, they, a, a horse – so the night that we're recording this uh, is about 24 hours following a chuckwagon race where they had to euthanize a horse at the Calgary Stampede. And, um, this is always like the trigger, you know, every year it's the same thing with the people going on about how like the cruelty to animals, the stampede and all this blah, blah, blah. And I wonder where these people are for the rest of the year or why they aren't at the places where there's tremendous amounts of, of uh, animal cruelty and or death going on. But instead they choose to boycott the stampede, which, um, you know, if if you just want to look at the pure economy of it, might sacrifice an animal or two here and there to stimulate the economy of a, of a million person city. So to me the price is really really well worth it. But I just sort of want to know it's like what what is the hate on for this particular event? And why why is there no one speaking out about the um all the chickens and the turkeys and whatever else is dying to feed people on the midway in some of the most horrific excuses for food that you've ever seen.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I mean, what I find from my Facebook feed anyway, it's often, uh, people who uh, work in the arts who maybe used to live in Calgary, but a lot of them seem to be in Eastern Canada. I'm not sure why Eastern Canada cares so much, but that's what I see. And my response to them is always like, Oh, well you're you're a fan of the arts you like it when when people in the arts uh, make their nut right uh well guess who the probably the largest employer of artists in the city of Calgary is probably the stampede
1: yeah it's i mean that just goes without saying i don't i don't I don't know why that's even an argument that has to be put on the table i think that should be a given i think that that should be understood by everybody what the economic impact of this 10 days is to um the arts community in particular I mean, like, if you want to go see uh, – if you walk around the Stampede Grounds, you're going to see a lot of fantastic art installations, including that one where the – that really cool one of the crossing of the bow, right, where the horses are going, like, in and out of the cement out in front of – what is that? The Archie Boyce Pavilion and, you know, near the saddle down there. It's really cool. Um, and someone got paid good cash money to put that in, some artist, you see. Um, but, you know, I just – I, I like, I get that people have a cause and I like the protest. I just find that the whole animal cruelty one is, um, completely or as it pertains to the stampede rather is very emotionally charged and it, it omits so much information and so much understanding about the other side of things. It's really easy to be critical of um the rodeo for example right when what you see is a steer getting tackled or you see a a guy riding on a bull that really wants him to get off but they used like flagrant bullshit uh to to sell this message for the longest time like the the myth about how they just they tie that bucking strap around the bull's nuts or whatever and it's like you know i remember the the best it was ever put to me was by a cowboy that said let me ask you something if i tied a belt around your nuts would you start jumping around like crazy or would you stand perfectly still? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he made his point and, and and then he just explained, he goes, look, as far as bulls are concerned, those aren't trained and those aren't trained like they're trained to buck. They're ornery. They don't want people on their back. You don't have to do anything to a bull to, to agitate it and want a cowboy off its back. They just act like that to begin with. Now, as for the horses, some of those horses might not buck so much. So you got to put a powdered lambskin around their, uh, or their flank and it tickles them. It irritates them. And then they want that thing off. And when the, when the, it's like a parachute, right? When the, when the cowboy gets bucked off, the bucking strap kind of goes with them. It loosens up with them. And then you notice that horse just stopped kicking quite as much. But, but anyway, the only reason I tell the story is because you get half of it. You don't even get half of it. You get some of it and some bullshit when you talk to the people with the placards on the street. And that really, really annoys me.
0: I like to think of those horses as just laughing themselves silly and being tickled <laughs> while they're bucking. That's a, that's a nice image. I'm going to keep that one in my head.
1: And then like when the cowboy gets bucked off, the horse comes over and just kind of pats him on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> you Ooh. kid, are you? <laughs> gives him a little noogie. Goes back into the chute.
0: There was a there was a great picture on social media. I, I can't remember the name of the fellow, but uh, like I think Crack Max had it posted, and it's just this dude walking in front of all the protesters, and he's just wearing like different furs, nice, <laughs> just like a suit of furs in front of the the horse protesters, right, or the animal protesters.
1: It's pretty funny. It's weird. I don't know how I feel about the agitator of the protest agitator. Like it's you know, I, I guess. I def- I defend it. I support it 100%. It's a whole freedom of speech argument. But it just sort of seems to be that like when, when someone's having a, a demonstration, I just – I think that we're all better off if we go, just let them have a demonstration. Don't go agitate them. Let them say their rhyme. They'll be gone in an hour and then we can just get on with breakfast.
0: What about the counter protest? How do you feel about that?
1: See, again, I think like – the, if the the counter protest to me, it's never just basically going. Oh, I'm just filling in the blanks about what they're not telling you, right? The, the counter protest is usually your very existence infuriates me, and I wish uh, I wish you were not a stain on this earth, and so I will wear a placard telling you such. Like the obvious so, thing that comes to mind is the whole like Israel-Palestine thing, right? When Palestinians demonstrate Israelis come out or Israel supporters come out and vice versa. And I just think it's like, guys, now nobody can figure out who to side with because you're all fighting.
0: <laughs> so I think this this dovetails quite nicely into something that you and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks, sort of a little slogan that we maybe are taking to heart now. And that's the whole concept of strong opinions loosely held. So maybe we can chat about that for a couple minutes. I mean, it, it really seems apparent to me, especially in the United States, that the political climate has reached a point where if you're on one side, you are not on the other side, that you absolutely refuse to give any ground to concede even a single point to that other side. I don't see it happen quite as much in Canadian politics, although it certainly does. There are certainly people who dig in their heels and refuse to listen to the other side in any way, shape or form. But it strikes me on the whole that that we're a little more willing to listen to the other side and maybe accept that they have a good point. I'm wondering if you could maybe just speak on that a little bit about that concept of, yeah, I feel really strongly about this and maybe I disagree with you. But let's talk about it rather than just put up our hands and ignore each
1: other. Yeah, I mean the, the notion that you're weak or that you um, are losing something if you lose an argument is – I that they I think they should teach as early as grade two that that's you know a fallacy that you know having your mind expanded even by people that you really disagree with is is seldom a bad thing, Um, and you know like. I got a couple of analogies here and then I'll back it up with an example from this week. But first of all, Dennis Miller, right? I referenced him earlier as as the anchor on Weekend Update. And I loved his stand-up and I've got all his stand-up specials. So maybe that's my go-to comedy, Dave. I'll, I'll watch old stand uh HBO specials. But in one of his first HBO specials, he's coming out talking about how like teachers are underpaid. I think his joke is, first of all, you want to fix the schools. You got to start paying the teachers a little bit more than they're paying the slop boy on the local farm. Right. And then he gets this applause. He's obviously backing teachers, associations and unions and coming out pretty much as a progressive. Right. Dennis Miller is not what you would call a progressive now, but he, he's interesting though, because he lives in Hollywood. And when O'Reilly, he's, he's on Bill O'Reilly or was on Bill O'Reilly show from time to time, a segment called Dave Miller time. Um, he would occasionally like O'Reilly would bait him about like these Hollywood elites and Miller would say, but well, hang on, I mean those are my friends. I live out here like they're not all like that and so it was just sort of like this microcosm of 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 one like staunch republican who a had changed his mind but b also had empathy for other people's perspectives. And I, and I think that that's sort of what we should all aspire to be. Hey, it's cool to believe what you believe. Try to have some empathy for other people's perspectives from time to time and don't get so dug in that you're going to be embarrassed when you change your mind down the road. Everybody in high school is a progressive Everybody in old age is a conservative.
0: (laughs) Well, and I find it interesting, like, again, if you're looking at it from the United States perspective, right? Okay, so if you if you're a Democrat, you back the Democrats, you think the Democrats are the way to go. You think the Republicans have got it all screwed up. But there has to be some point where you can say, well, here's one thing I don't like about the Democrats. Or here's one thing I think we got wrong. Right. Right. If you can't do that. It strikes me that you're not be, you're being disingenuous that you're not actually looking at things from a realistic perspective that you're more just waving the banner of your team, same thing with your team if you love oh yeah yeah the Mets or the mariners or whatever, and if you can't admit for a second that another team might be better at something than your team or that your team has some flaws. You're not really defending your team. You're just defending an ideology now,
1: right? Okay. So that was actually going to be my second analogy, right? It's like, there's, there's two aspects to this. First of all, you know, if, if, if your team scores a goal, but you know, your guy had his like, you know, foot in the crease or whatever, like, you know, or, or was offside, right? You are not helping yourself or anybody by being the guy who goes, nope, he's totally onside. And the instant replay shows like, you know, you want to be going, yeah, we got away with one there you yep. you want to be the guy who's going ha, ha, that should totally be called back but it won't be so the second thing about this is sports fans have this figured out show me the hardcore supporter of a team i mean the guy who's got like the pennants on the wall in the master bedroom you know or the guy who has purchased memorabilia from his favorite team show me the hardcore sports fan who does not have a criticism of his club right they all do they all want their team to win the super bowl or or the stanley cup they all have they love the franchise player they all wanna you know go to see their favorite uh, boyhood heroes plaque in the hall of fame or whatever the case may be but to a man yeah probably man to a man <laughs> uh they can all say this guy doesn't belong on the team or that the GM made a boneheaded trade there. They can always criticize the team. And we need that in politics. And for some reason, we, we, we got so many people who are trapped in this mindset or this idea that if you criticize Justin Trudeau, for example, of just racking up a deficit without like for the sake of doing so, then you're ceding territory to the conservatives. That's not how it works. And what you're effectively doing is is letting your team know that there will be no accountability, at least not as far not as far as I'm concerned.
0: Absolutely, I uh, 100% agree with that. Some of my favorite stuff is when you know, uh, again, I'm a soccer fan, but uh, when they when the teams start bantering at each other, right, and instead of taking it personally and getting pissed off, you laugh at it, and you think it's funny. Um, so, so Arsenal, the team that I support, they were in the Champions League. It's a league where. All the best teams play all the other best teams from all the other leagues. So it's like a super league. And they played a team from Germany called Bayern Munich. And they play a home leg and an away leg. They combine the two scores and that's who wins over two legs. So Arsenal plays the first game against Bayern Munich, loses 5-1. to one, Just a pounding. Just got killed. Embarrassing, right? So they come back. They're going to play in London. Arsenal needs five goals to get ahead because they're down 5-1, yeah. right? They lose 5-1 to one again. Wow! Right. So just humiliated. So 10-2 is the final. Right. So Bayern Munich goes on Twitter the next day and says, hey, Arsenal, guess what time it is? It's (laughs) 10-2. Brilliant. Right. And that's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to give somebody a little bit of stick laugh about it. I mean, I think it can happen in politics too. There's got to be things that are happening that people can have a joke or a laugh about, or even like you said, go, yeah, you know what? I like, I'm not going to give up my side, but I think this decision that our guys made is, is kind of dumb.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, it's better this way too. So this is how I practice, right? I mean, I will only ever tell you the bad things that conservatives do. And if you want to know the good things, then ask me that question and I'll, I'll give you a bit of a rundown, but what's the point? They're the government. You know, I'm the complainer. I'm the citizen. The last thing you want is to have your, your, uh, customer satisfaction department tied up with people telling you what a fantastic job you're doing. It's not the road to progress. So it's my job to say, it's my duty as a Canadian citizen to say, Hey guys, uh, here's what's losing the votes in my opinion. Have a think on this and make some changes. Um, yeah, you know, here, I want to bring something into this. <clears throat> I had a, I had a, an exchange on Twitter uh, earlier in the week, last week, I guess, July 6th, but somebody had, had uh, responded to a tweet from CBC's power and politics. Hannah Thibodeau was hosting it. And you know that, uh, the story from, I guess this, this story that came out of Halifax where this group called proud boys interrupted an indigenous people's uh, demonstration. And okay. So power and politics is going to have somebody from proud boys. Come on. And so, here, what, the, the, the initial tweet is basically this, this guy saying, um, Canada would be a nicer place if all the hardcore racists were kicked out of Canada. They could be sent to the moon for all I care. His response to, to PNP's tweet was that these guys shouldn't be given a platform. In fact, they should be exiled. So I responded and said, what do you mean by exiled? And to which he said that it'd be a nicer place if all the hardcore racists were kicked out of Canada. Uh, the far right should be reported on, but not given a platform. So I have so many problems with this particular individual who thinks that like hate speech or extremism is the exclusive uh, domain of the far right, as though you have to go back only 47 years in this country to learn about the Marxist-Leninist terrorist cell that actually killed people and demanded to be released to Cuba anyway. Uh, they wanted their own exile. The FLQ, by the way, uh, there's a wiki page all about it. Check it out. October Crisis. You're going to love it. Um, I was uh, I was conceived during that event. By the way, Roger. <laughs> wow, that's hot. <laughs> Your parents just—they're watching the news and they just couldn't keep their hands off each other.
0: They were in Quebec.
1: <laughs> so I'm um, going to just let that one sit with me for a little bit. There's a nice meringue on top of that. Uh, so as I was saying, <laughs> this this guy's basically saying, yeah, you know, if if I disagree with you. You should not be allowed to live in the same country as me. You should not have the same constitutional rights that I have. And when challenged on that, he just basically said, good day, sir. And so this is, this kind of gets to the whole political discourse thing, right? It's like that guy didn't, ha- didn't have it within him or maybe just didn't want to take a moment to try to figure out where I was coming from. Because the, the question I'm asking him there is, well, hang on a second. If, if you have a perspective that's unsavory to me. Then how do you feel about me saying to you, you should not be allowed to have your feet on the same soil that I have mine on?
0: Yeah, I, I got a big problem with that, start to finish. I mean, the racism thing is a little trickier, and in this case, maybe these guys are far right. But yeah, you're right. There's no guarantee that just to be racist, you have to be far right. There's probably lots of people who show issues on, and or maybe in other. Uh, areas, maybe not race specifically, but I know a lot of people who are hardcore lefties who will very quickly shut down things and say things like, oh, rebel media shouldn't be allowed in this country. Like, well, well, why? I mean, you know, if you're so open and inclusive, then then why would you want to get rid of someone who has a different viewpoint? Now, if you want to say that they should be held accountable for things that they report, if they're going to consider themselves journalists, that they should have to do some actual fact checking. Yeah, I might have a little bit more time for that point, but just to say they disagree with me, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's that's not a good argument.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's kind of healthy when you have well, again, healthy is that the right word? I like these people, these like uh, um, niche journalism outfits, right? Like the the problem that the National Post has, Post Media in general, and a lot of newspapers is that they used to do everything at a time when doing everything was a really good business model. But as soon as the internet happened, and you know like how many people here's here, these are the questions that you got to consider as you you know as you parse my argument here, but how many people bought the newspaper just to get the crossword puzzle or the sports section or the horoscopes right so it's sort of like when you could suddenly do all the crossword puzzles you wanted to do because somebody started publishing like a crossword puzzle magazine like that impacted um newspaper sales the smart newspapers were the ones who began publishing those crossword puzzle magazines you know or the when you could just go online and do the sudoku that started to impact newspaper sales when you could start to read your horoscope online it's the same thing right then craigslist comes out and it's the classified ads and all of a sudden like one of the big money makers that's not subscription based is totally pointless to have it in the newspaper when Craigslist is in every bloody city in the world. And from Craigslist comes Kijiji and Auto Trader online and all this other stuff. So you just sort of have this thing where newspapers were great. Long before uh, you know, when, when it was a good business model to deliver everything and now that you're just delivering the news and trying to be like straight down the middle and appeal to as many people as possible, it's not profitable. That's why Ezra Levant can come along with the rebel media and go, hey, if you only want these stories – and he, of course he positions them as the stories that everyone is too afraid to tell you, which is like <laughs> such <laughs> lofty bullshit. But people, people lap it up, right? They just eat it right up. It's like well, and of
0: course, yeah. Um, one thing that always struck me is uh, when people would tell me they still read the newspaper. I'm like, oh, so when you know a bomb goes off in Europe at 9 a.m., and I read about it on Twitter at 9 a.m., and by 11 o'clock they figured out who did it, and by one o'clock we have a story that covers about the whole you know background of the people who did it. It's going to take you until eight o'clock tomorrow morning to publish that story. Right. Well, I've already I've already been through that entire media cycle. I already heard about Michael Jackson dying and read about all the ins and outs of that story long before your print ever hits the paper.
1: Right. right? Yeah.
0: That's the problem. News happens fast. Newspapers don't happen fast.
1: Yeah, and it's and that's the only problem, right? So now you're talking about newspapers and you're not talking about written word journalism. It's it's just the publishing cycle which is the issue because newspaper journalists, I think, are still among the leaders in the game the 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 ability to do that research and and craft a long-form story like writing is hard you know
0: oh yeah absolutely yeah no 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 disrespect to those guys they i follow a lot of them on twitter and they're the ones that tell me what's going on and dig down and find the story so yeah
1: yeah i think it's i don't know Hmm. i'm really nervous about the war on journalism that we're seeing right now like it's it's a problem for uh um such an information dense age that we live in. The fact that we are warring on people who make crap money to ask all the questions that we're not smart enough to ask is, is really troubling that, that we we don't value these people just for what they do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that hardcore again, not to pick on the right, but that's a hardcore right move. That's Trump's move. A hundred percent make people doubt what's going on. Once you doubt the media, then you can tell people whatever you want. Right. Yeah. I think starting to catch on though. I think, I got a good feeling in the states that the only people that are tr- true Trump followers now are those who just won't be convinced otherwise. I think a lot of your middle of the road guys are going, okay, enough's enough. You know, you're right. making stuff up now, guy.
1: The uh, the the fake news thing, though, I have no idea why the why the left aren't sitting there going, you guys did fake news like 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Do you remember <laughs> when? Um, <laughs> Well, okay. Do you remember when uh Columbine happened and there was all of the like they were wearing Marilyn Manson t-shirts and stuff like that? Like there was all this like absolute fic- fiction being published in the news. And CNN would like they were just grabbing stuff, going, "Yeah, good enough and running with it." And it was sort of like, "Wait a second, that's fake news." Like you 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 destroyed a guy's career you know, for a couple of years there, Marilyn Manson was in pretty tough shape because a, a lot of people wanted to blame him for Columbine when obviously, you know, from a thousand feet back or a thousand miles up now we can see that he clearly had nothing to do with it. and trying to blame music for disasters is lunacy. But you know the going back to the point here and the seed of this is that that was fake news. and who who whoever you want to say, uh, whoever you want to lay the blame at, go ahead. But it's not like fake news is this concoction in 2017 of the progressive press. There have been lazy people doing fake news for decades, and the, both sides are equally guilty of it.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's gone crazy lately. But I guess the one upside to it is it seems to me, and I may be a little biased myself, but it seems to me that like the Washington Post and the New York Times <sighs> – are like having a full out sprint to see who's going to win the Pulitzer this year, because (laughs) both of their staffs are like triple checking and verifying and digging up stories and like, there's a lot of news, like a lot of breaking stories almost every day, uh, on the political sites, they call it, it's, it's F five o'clock because you're just updating to see what's been, you know, put out in the last 10 minutes kind of
1: thing. It's a bit crazy. Right. But the problem that I have is that the people are too, uh, they're not – they don't read the news as like a canon, right? You, I wish I wish I had your vocabulary. I'd be able to express this point a lot better. But you know when you're like reading – just pick a topic and we'll stick with the Trump administration because I'm going to use it as a segue in a few minutes here. But you know when you're reading about Trump, right? And it's like you, you read the next story about Trump and then tomorrow you read another story about Trump. And then next Thursday you read a story about Trump and then you can say to yourself, I've been reading about this for four weeks and now i'm 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 remembering some of the things that are being referenced in this article it's putting together this you know this arsenal of knowledge now that i have about that i can use to formulate my opinions on on this particular president of the united states i don't think that people do that i think that they just they they look at the the headline or the newspaper Get a talking point that they can spew down at the cafe when they're talking to their buddies, or the coffee shop, I guess, uh, when they're talking to their buddies, and then they just rinse and repeat that tomorrow without really trying to take into consideration, you know, that that this is a running narrative. This that that, that the that life is a running narrative, and you've got to learn from yesterday to make tomorrow better.
0: Absolutely, could not have said it better myself. So, do you, um, you,
1: you got your computer open in front of you there. You got your you got yes, Google, so- okay. Google this. Google seventh black president. Right.
0: This is the fun part of the podcast where you just hear me typing. Uh, uh, Andrew Jackson okay. was the seventh president of the United States.
1: So read the – what's your first hit there, like below the it's excerpt uh, below the people? the seventh also
0: black presidents before Barack Obama.
1: Right. So that's on the internet, right? So there's people that are – like there's, there's 10-year-olds that are going to present that as like a school project somewhere, right? Right. And, and we're hoping the teacher's smart enough to, to go, Oh yeah, that's not there. I think he was the first actually. Like this is troubling shit, right? Aaron Collins yeah, yeah, from yeah, CBC yeah. pointed this out to me and it's just like, this is some troubling stuff. And the fact that it's out there and that somebody can hold this up and go, well, look, it's on the internet. Like somebody wrote it for a reason. We got to yeah. teach, we got to really teach media literacy to, to kids and you know who the worst people to do it are is probably parents
0: <laughs> yeah no, that's a good yo, well you know you're, everybody's biased right right you know you're gonna have the politics your dad had until you turn 14 and then you want to start rebelling and then you're going to choose the other side for a while
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. um no to your point about uh about uh, creating a narrative and following more than just the headline. Uh, and I've mentioned, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow before. You're not as big of a fan, I think. But uh, one thing I really like about how she does things is she actually she talks you builds a narrative and walks you through that narrative. She just doesn't come out and say, this guy did something wrong. She'll go, OK, this is where we started. This happened and then this happened and then this happened. Here's what's happening now, right? And it kind of gives you that story again. I mean, obviously she's much further on the left wing, and so a lot of the stories are going to be, you know, anti-Trump and and probably pretty biased to some extent. But I really like that. There's a lot of effort going in there. You can see that they're taking their time. They're building that narrative. They're doing a lot of fact checking and reporting. So
1: yeah, no, we, you know, I, I like we need that more story. of
0: that everywhere on the the spectrum. I think.
1: Um. I want to, can, can I just segue up? I want to play this clip from Trump that went around Facebook and it's, it's, he's delivering the speech. But the thing about, I'm going to talk about something different here. This is the one of where, um, Buzz Aldrin is making funny faces in the background as Trump is talking about space travel. And, you know, it's hilarious because Trump does not know what he's talking about. And Aldrin sort of like looking at him like, Oh God, this is, uh, this is not going well. But this, my whole criticism here is just Trump's, how Trump delivers speeches. So let's just listen to a little bit of this and then. I'll make my point, see if you can key in on it. Very strongly about it. I felt strongly about it for a long time. I used to say before doing what I did, I used to say, what happened?
0: Why aren't we moving forward? Today's announcement sends a clear signal to the world that we are restoring America's proud legacy of leadership in space. At some point in the future, we're going to look back and say, how did we do it without space? The vice president will serve as the council's chair. The privatization of certain aspects is going to be very it's going to play a very crucial role. Don't you think? They are truly into it.
1: Okay, so here's here's how this happens. A guy writes a speech. There's a guy in the White House. He's a speechwriter. Uh, and eventually, the first lady becomes the president, and she kills him. Spoiler alert. No, there's a guy. There's a guy in the White House. His job is to write speeches and then he gives these like they go over the speech they make sure that the tone is right that it fits its on message and everything's great then the speech is given to the president of the United States now a speech is a series of words that are written with effect and impact that are designed to express the message of the day from a position of authority they are calculated writings. You don't have to deviate from them. You can literally read every word on that page, and if you're a good orator, you are going to come off sounding sharp. He is instead reading this speech about – I don't even know what it's about because it's so bloody distracting – about space, like he's, uh, the, the kindergarten teacher, you know, reading the book to the kids in that way where you're sitting on the chair and you're showing them the book as you're reading it to them. And you stop after the words to, to look at the pictures and ask the kids, you know, so it's like the three bears then went to bed. Where, where are their beds? Who can count that? How many beds are there? Can you count that? That's how he's doing this speech. And it's infuriating to hear him do it because, like, you know, the speechwriter sitting here going, why am I getting very, paid? It's going to play a very crucial role, don't you think? They are truly <laughs> don't, into it. Don't
0: you think is the most bizarre thing to say in that clip. Uh, I could literally – and it's funny that you mentioned that because I didn't know that's where you were going with this. But I was literally thinking to myself. This is the part that was written because he's reading it like this and this is how I'm reading something from the page. And this is when he's making a little aside that I'm not really sure why he's making this little aside. And he's making some weird, weird, weird statements when he's like, oh, don't you think this is where we're going? That's where it is. You know, it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Like it would be interesting to put that speech Next to, I don't know, pretty much anything Barack Obama has ever made a speech about. Just to hear like, here's the range of where you can be as far as professional oratory goes. This is the high water mark and this is Donald.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't think of a worse uh, – a president who gave worse speeches. And I would like to insert that style into great speeches in American presidential <laughs> history like four score and seven years ago and that is a lo- that's a very long time 60 <laughs> years at least uh, our forefathers great people they were totally into it
0: <laughs> we go to the moon not because it is easy you know what else i find easy is to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man His, he's got the, i wonder where kennedy What am I trying to say here? I think that Kennedy has the the privilege of being like the first president for whom all of his words were caught on tape. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was at the time in in television history where like, yeah, we can send a camera to absolutely everything. And, you know, there's – I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass here. But I just – No, no. I love Kennedy's uh, speeches.
0: Not even just the audio, but they were saying that uh, being televised, the debate – between him and Nixon was uh, was the was a changing point. They said that that might have cost him the election because now people could actually see the candidates. And all of a sudden that became very important, not just what you were saying on the microphone, but how you were saying it and how you were standing and how you reacted to things. That was apparently a big game changer.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because Nixon got sweat, right? He had sweat on his lip. And they say that that was like, heard, there's a name for that. Nixon, there's probably a, also a punk band called Nixon's lip sweat, but uh, <laughs> upper lip sweat. And they say that like that cost him um, during the debate. Oh, there's a, there's even a video of this. Let me see if there's an annoying ad for like Wix websites or something like that. That'll have to make you all endure. All right. It is true. What they said on what the guy said about Nixon, he didn't want to put on, Uh, makeup it's also true that he didn't want to um that he had been in the hospital for two weeks but the other issue was was that it was very warm as you can see right around his chin um that he is sweating on camera this was noticed by the viewers this was the difference of having a of having a um a debate on video as opposed to a debate debate on the radio yeah okay so he's just Highlighting your point with a little illustration, but yeah, you can see Nixon's like his his mouth area is clearly sweaty, uh, and, and a lot of people saw that and they're like, "Oh, it, it makes him unfit for the position." So they voted for Kennedy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's probably entire university courses that would go over you know how media has influenced and changed elections, and they're probably having a banner year right now, to be honest, because this year is a big one as far as new changes, new things that are happening within media. Uh, the White House no longer allowing videotape, uh, the press conferences to be filmed, right? Yeah, Audio only, that absurd. kind of thing. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff that's happening that makes me a little uncomfortable. But hey, you know what I like about uh, television, Roger? What's that? Uh, if you're awesome. done, I don't know if it were you done there. Or, <laughs> you
1: know you Absolutely. I just It's like that. just that I could see that you had like the high beams on that Segway turned on. I couldn't miss it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I what I've missed so far in this episode, I gotta say, is Johannes.
1: I know. I don't I just realized I didn't have him in the hopper. I gotta have <laughs> to find some Johannes real quick for us here.
0: All right. So uh we had uh, checked in with the beleaguered talkies this week, and my question was about Canadian television. So uh I wanted to know this week specifically about comedy. Canadians, very funny people. We've got a lot of very famous canadian comedians uh many of whom went down to the states and became giant stars could you uh rifle off a few of them for us there roger
1: oh yeah uh let's say bruce Mar- uh, mark mckinney um yeah. david foley yep um mike myers yep phil hartman yep uh i'm gonna say john candy
0: john Candy's a big one he's yeah. my favorite
1: um jim carrey Jim Carrey. How many do I have to do here? Like, when am I off? The- That's, no, that, I'm just saying, Levy. you could
0: probably keep going for a while and you'd be doing great.
1: Was Seth Rogen Canadian, uh, by the way?
0: <laughs> Mark McKinney, uh, a Calgarian for quite some time. I don't know if he was born here or not. I'm not sure. But I know that he and Bruce McCullough, both of the kids in the hall, of course, were uh, were also members of uh, of our little theater that uh, you and I are also alumni of, uh, the Loose Theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I can do a little plug right here, we're actually having an auction right now. We're auctioning off some items to support uh, Lou Smooth's 40th anniversary. And uh, Mark actually was kind enough to donate from the kids in the hall. A couple signed 8x10s and a couple of signed posters signed by all the kids in the hall. Oh, cool. And uh, I'll put the link up on the talkie page when we're done here. But it's at uh, it's 32 auctions. I think it's called 32 auctions is the name of the site. If you just go in there and look up Loose Moose, you'll find all that stuff and you can go in there and uh,
1: bid away. Yeah, you'll be able to get those. Uh, that that link Dave just mentioned in the uh, uh, show notes to this podcast on your podcast player as well as on the website nationaltalkieleak.com.
0: Excellent. So having all that in mind, my question was uh, tell us your favorite – number one, your favorite Canadian comedy show that's currently on the air and then I had a little side discussion with a friend of mine about what on the air means these days. <laughs> and then number two, your favorite comedy show of all time. So uh, one of the one of my friends answered this one on my page when I shared the link. Uh, and his question was, he, he said he was a fan of, uh, of Letter Kenny. He's like, is that considered to be on the air? Because technically <laughs> it's not on cable. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, how else would you refer to it in production? In production to me says we're getting it ready and it's not ready yet, but. The, I don't the, know what we would call
1: it. Is letter Canyon on Crave? Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a Crave original as far as I know.
1: You know, I think that it's, it's funny because I was having this, this semantic conversation the other day about like the difference between broadcasting and streaming, right? And how like it's free, like your, your radio doesn't charge you data <laughs> for data, um, but you also don't get it on demand. Whereas with streaming, uh, You know, it's, you get it on demand, but now you're, you're absorbing data. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a different transaction there. Um, But it, it kind of goes to like that, that sort of discussion that, that morphs with every generation about, you know, like, for example, have you played, your oldest kid is what, 13 years old? Correct. Has he ever heard a busy signal in his life?
0: God, I don't think
1: so. Like you could play him this and go, what does this sound signify? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like my, my one, and this could, this could just not work, but for some reason, I just dream it will work fantastically. I have a VCR and I also have a three year old nephew. And when he turns 16, I want to give him the VCR and say, tell me what this is. Tell me what it does. Show me how it works.
0: They have some great videos uh called uh Kids React.
1: Oh yeah, those so, are great.
0: Yeah, so like they have one with the the Sony Walkman. And they 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 ask the kids, you know, okay, well, you know, how do you make this thing work? And most of them can figure out the play button because it looks like the play signal that we still have. Right. And the, the guy says, "Okay, well, what if you wanted to listen to the last song? What would you do?" And one of the kids <laughs> holds it up and says, "Play the last song." <laughs> Which to us old people is hilarious.
1: Oh, so funny.
0: But it just points out the fact that now you can do that. And that's kind of awesome because we live in Star Trek.
1: Um, so, so I'm going to go ahead and say Letterkenny is streaming. How's that?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean it's on. My, my, my point was not something that happened in the past and is done but something that's currently happening currently out there.
1: Right. I think that your response to that should be able you should just be allowed to look at the person and go, "Yeah, I'm in my 40s." Like I made a I made a reference to the film Castaway in company the other day that uh, where the age range was uh about 23 to 60 and there were s- uh six of us. And so I made the reference to the movie Castaway and then I kind of looked around the group and I was like, "Okay, half of us good, half of us got the joke." <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was pretty, you know, it was one of those moments. Yeah, I
0: guess trickier all the time. That's for sure. All right. I'm going to read through a couple of these and then uh, you and I can discuss our favorite Uh So Laura said she wanted to know if Shits Creek, you see, that one works better when you write it. it doesn't sound as rude. <laughs> is that Canadian? Yes, it is. Because that show is effing funny. Uh, it's been great to reach a, a mass audience. Canadian producers have mastered this. There's Canadian shows on international cable that aren't shown here. Uh, and of all time, she says air farce in its heyday was amazing. Could we even have the chicken cannon in this current climate?
1: I so. can't agree with the air farce being that good. I was all I always found air farce to be the kind of com- uh, comfort comedy, the kind of comedy that tired kind of burnt out comedians right when they no longer want to take risks.
0: Something my parents might have liked is kind of how I think of it.
1: Well, that, that Tim Horton sketch, right? Where it was just like all they would do is they, the one guy was just pouring sugar in his coffee endlessly and going, yup, 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 yup. And it was just supposed to be these like four yokels talking about the issues of the day. And all it was was a backdrop for really terrible one-liners. Like, hey, there's another whale washed up on a beach in Newfoundland. They have beaches in Newfoundland? <laughs> and then the laugh track. And you're like, guys, come on. Can we try?
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, our buddy keith says uh letter kenny and "Chit's creek are the first canadian shows in a long time that really made me laugh out loud i'm uh, generally not a fan of canadian humor like corner gas and trailer park boys so these are a welcome change uh and then he listed as his all type favorites the office uk arrested development and freaks and geeks clearly not understanding the canadian portion of that <laughs> so i asked him about that and he said oh kids in the hall but i haven't watched it forever i'm not sure if it holds up I've always thought Canada was strong when it comes to music. We have some amazing actors across the border, but
1: Canadian TV has
0: never grabbed me. Hmm, so that that might be your opinion as well.
1: Yeah, well, I was just actually trying to hold my rant in there. And, all right, and, and all right, it,
0: keep holding it because I got a couple more. Yeah, because
1: we'll I want to. I want to take part in the the fun and frivolity of the naming our favorite Canadian TV shows before I go and vomit all over the craft. <laughs>
0: Uh, Brian says he was a huge corner f- gas fan. Uh, Eric says all time favorite Canadian, Canadian TV show is you can't do that on television. And Brent Robinson, uh, another vote for uh Shits Creek. Uh, Mr. D is a close second and his favorite of all time is Ed's big fromage. You remember Ed the sock? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Christmas special. Fantastic. Gotta agree with Brent on that
1: one. I like Ed the sock. I don't think Ed the sock likes me. I've interviewed him oh, a couple he- of times. I think he doesn't care for me. But I really like the song. It's it's one of those weird things, and I'd like to hang out with him, but I don't think he'd hang out with me. And I would just, ah, oh, come on, man, I think you're hilarious. Let's just hang out.
0: <laughs> um, all right, yeah, you're up, and then I'll I'll close. You're
1: okay. I "Kids in the Hall" and SCTV. Um, and shame on everybody who responded for not including SCTV. It should be like, mind you, unless, uh, unless, of course, you're using the rule that I applied earlier on in the podcast, which is that's a given. You shouldn't have to write SCTV down. It's obviously the first thing. Um, uh, but those two to me are like foundational Canadian comedy shows. Um, you know, I, I tip my hat to corner gas. I, I thought it, I enjoyed it. Like I, I've, I've certainly watched plenty of episodes to have an idea, like what, what it was all about and, and to be able to, you know, uh, back up that of which I'm about to say, but, I really thought that that was a show that was very carefully and well written. And like the storylines were, I thought really funny and the character commitment was really good. So I, I thought that was like a, a great show and they did it on their own too, right? Like they could have really easily, uh, you know, just kind of done what everybody else does and put it on the CBC, but instead they were like, they made it work on and they made a network pay for it, a private broadcaster pay for it and worked. So good on them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, no I agree uh the corner gas guys lots of the writers on that show and performers on that show uh you know comedians that used to work the circuit back when I was working at you know jesters here in Calgary you know people like Brent Butt and uh, Mark Farrell was one of the writers for the show like right. lots of really good talented comedians there yeah what and- about your current is there something on right now that you watch you watch any Canadian comedy currently
1: no I can't like so I'm a I'm an elitist snob Dave and I don't own a tv no i do but i don't have cable um no i i just I'm, I'm out of the loop that's straight up just not watching much canadian tv i think the one that
0: that i think is pretty funny right now is uh is also letter kenny i think there's a lot of really interesting really funny stuff uh, i'm getting a little concerned the writers are going back to the same well quite often like they, they, they're big on bits right and They like to go back and reuse the bits over and over and over. And that could get a little thin pretty fast, but I think it's a pretty funny show.
1: Yeah. I've heard nothing but hilarious things about it. And I was actually, this is kind of funny. I was in a pub, uh, you know, sitting at the bar, drinking a a pint and doing some work on my laptop, and there was a table of uh, like three guys and and two girls behind me, and they were for about forty five minutes just talking about Letter Kenny and like their favorite lines and like you know they're just reminiscing about episodes of Letter Kenny. And their conversation about Letter Kenny entertained me. So, <laughs> so it was like this must be a good show if if hearing people talk about it is fun.
0: <laughs> well, it's very quotable. I'll say that for sure. Right. I mean, like there's a there's a Reddit for it and most of the times one person will say something and everyone else will just riff off of that. Cause that's a lot of the show too is, you know, one character will say something and another character will riff based on that. And it'll go on and on and on and on and on. Um, yeah, a lot of people mentioned or Keith mentioned, uh, uh, the, uh, trailer park boys. I got to agree. I'm not, a, I don't know why I'm not saying it's not a good show. I was just never a fan of it. I'm not a fan of that kind of, you know, lowest common denominator, you know, pick on the, not pick on, but you know, Focus on the you know the the, the drunk guys and the right. stoned guys. I mean, this is this is a hard thing to say from you know uh, a former cast member of uh, Bar too. <laughs> I don't know if Leaguer Talkies know that or not, but, but I, the- I actually have a a role
1: in uh, yeah. That's right. Too. You're listening to Wade Spears over here, Party People. I'm friends <laughs> with him on Facebook, by the way. I don't know if you know that.
0: Yeah, I, I still have that account. I hardly ever check it. I should go back and see. Wade's probably got some new friends by now.
1: You should just go but in yeah. there and like and mix it up with Terry and just like call him <laughs> out for some and just and see what he does because <laughs> he's got a, a pretty strong following.
0: There's a, I think there's a pretty strong irony, like the fact that you know I was asked to be in in this movie and the character I play doesn't swear or smoke or do anything wrong at all. I, I get to be like the white bread guy in the movie.
1: <laughs> right. That's a man we got to get Davey on dave lawrence uh yeah, yeah, yeah. from Foo bar fame we, he'll 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 uh do an interview with us and we'll have that on a future episode but i get what you're saying about trailer park boys see to me i i get the show and i think it's i think it's great um and i really love character comedy and i think that's a great example of character comedy all around um but it's not for me like it's just not my wheelhouse you know and it's that's really no different than saying um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have kids, so I don't really feel the need to watch Toy Story three. Like, yeah, I, b- brilliant. I'm sure. Just don't need it. Not for me.
0: I think that's pretty fair. And I mean, that, that sort of comment you say, oh, it's not for me. It can be taken as being like, oh, I'm too good for that. But it's not always how it's meant. I think you're absolutely right to say like, you know what? You know, oh, Spider-Man homecoming came out this weekend. Did you go see it? No, not into it. It's yeah, and that should be okay. It should be okay for me to say no. Nope, I'm not into that. I'm not going to go see it right. without that being the first punch in a fight. You know.
1: Um, the rant that I, I've I've I kind of chewed this rant up, and I just have a little bone to throw out at it. But we this the protectionist attitude towards Canadian TV has done it a tremendous disservice, and I think that Canadian television would be uh, far better off if um, we hadn't. You know, basically made a decision some time ago to make sure that that American TV uh, didn't corrupt our sense of culture up here north of the border, which it clearly has, hasn't it? Like, don't we watch Absolutely. American TV, right? So Absolutely. I just sort of think that that, that decision really um, set us up for, uh, you know, the the astounding level of mediocrity that we typically achieve in most of our television pursuits. So...
0: I was just going to say, so what makes music different? And now I'm thinking maybe music isn't different, but it strikes me that I know a lot more Canadian bands with songs that I like than I can think of Canadian TV shows, obviously apples and oranges, but did the whole, the maple thing. I don't know if that's what they're using anymore, but that whole idea of, of, you know, Canadian content, uh, that was still happening when you were at X, I think still, it's oh, it still, still, still happens, yeah. so is that different in your opinion?
1: No, I think it's probably the most heinous example of of the of this uh staging a nation for mediocrity. I always called the Juno Awards um like the loser grammys, right? And the, here's why. Okay, cuz Selindion goes and wins a Grammy. Diana Krall goes and wins a Grammy. These are Canadians. And you know, Selindion plays a residency at uh Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Like there's nothing preventing Canadian musicians from dominating the world you know from from going out there and getting it like Rush does that right Brian Adams did that but the problem with canadian content regulations is that it's trained the people that would otherwise give um you know musicians the airtime that they need in canada it's trained uh, those radio stations to not take risks so nickelback's a prime example of this right so nickelback they released this album the state and then they followed it up with uh, would that have been Silver Side Up, the one that came out on 9-11. Is it Silver Side Up? I think that's right. Anyway, um, and it went ballistic. It went like crazy. You know, the album, it, it, it just soared on the charts in that song, How You Remind Me. So anyway, for the next decade and a half, all rock radio stations wanted to do was play Nickelback songs. And when Nickelback, when Chad Kruger crossed over into like uh, soft rock or even pop, then they just trained other formats to, look, don't test new artists, just play Nickelback. So because of those CanCon regulations and because like, you know, you're just playing what's safe and the same bands are getting all the same airplay, it stifles, uh, the, the, it stifles Canadian bands more generally speaking. I firmly believe this anyway. anyways. I'd, I'd love to debate somebody on it, but I just, I think that all it's done is to, is to say, look, um, and by the way, sorry, there's another joke in all of this, but, there was a station in uh, Windsor called the Big Eight and they would be playing like or, – or this happened all throughout southern Ontario. But when CanCon regulations came in in Maple, as you referenced, MAPL, Music, Artist, Production, and Lyrics. So you had to have, I think, what was it, two of those to be considered Canadian content. So these guys would go down to Detroit and they would grab bands and they would say, do you guys want to come up to Toronto and record your album, please? And then we can just play it all over the Canadian radio because the production and the music or whatever, like it'll be – it'll qualify for CanCon. And they would do it, and it would, they just like gamed the system immediately. So I think it's fraught with abuse, and it's—it's. It's, I think it's put us in a much worse place.
0: Now I'm I'm not as up on all this stuff as you, obviously, but uh, so is there no point to be made that you know bands like I don't know, I'm, pull out my old school examples because I'm old. Uh, you know, bands like the Odds or the Watchmen or guys like those might have made it further than they would have because of that. That you know we get to listen to them on the radio because of that. That might be a good thing and a bad thing, but you know I'm wondering if maybe I know of some of these bands and have experienced some of this good music because of that when I might not have otherwise.
1: Uh sure, okay. You know I yeah I've heard that one before and I, maybe I agree with it, but the only Watchmen song you ever hear on the radio is Stereo. Right, that you don't hear anything from their other albums. Um, you don't hear "Incarnate," which I thought was their best song, but whatever. Um, you know, I like I I get that argument, but I I still think that um, if a band, if a, a a Canadian band had a you know had a song that, okay, so here let me just take you a step back here. So what would happen is on Tuesdays the record guys would come to the radio station and they'd have a list of songs that they're pushing in your format. Right. So then at the end of the day, then you've got five record guys with say five songs each and you got 25 songs and you're going to add three or four songs. Right. And if of those 25 songs and most of them are crap, most of them aren't going to make it on the radio. If you can't find three really good ones out of like the, uh, or, or, or it just so happens that that week, there's not a lot of like prominent, like nickelback artists, right? That you've heard of and stuff. And they're on that list. Then you're going to listen to some other stuff. And then occasionally the edge in Toronto is going to play one and the song is going to stick. And that's how you get the bare naked ladies. If I had a million dollars. Okay. So it there's occasionally like lightning in a bottle moments, but no, for the most part, they would walk in there and go, Hey, there's a new, uh, we got a new Nickelback song off the Nickelback album. And then that would take the opportunity that any of those other artists on that list would have had that week. So that's kind of the way it worked. What I'm, all I'm saying is that instead of, giving money like grant money to these Canadian bands for to, you know, and, and a recording grant, and you get to record in a crappy studio, tell them, um, isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? I'm here to tell you, boy, rock and roll is a vicious game and tell them to go and like rent a van drive to populated areas, play shitty bars and slug it out. If you're good at music, it'll work, but don't come into a welfare state where they, they give you like a stipend to create art so that they can satisfy a cultural component of government. And they don't give a rat's ass about actually producing good rock and roll music. No, I think that's a pretty fair point, Roger. Go to Seattle, right? Like there's a reason why, like, you know this the whole seattle scene in the 90s happens because you've got like this pent up this pent up emotion that's that's being musically expressed by fucking brilliant artists not because and, somebody stepped in there and funded it with a government grant
0: <laughs> and also i think because you've got a bunch of different artists that are pushing each other as well i think oh, yeah. that was part of the, that that movement too right i mean you know i know when you're you know, improvising or you're doing something else, any kind of art, if you've got somebody else there who's doing it alongside you and you're either trying to one up them or you're seeing what they're doing and going, yeah, no. And then you start doing the same thing. That's where the creativity, that's where the progression comes from, I think.
1: Yeah. I When I was growing up here and like when I turned 18 uh, – well, actually when I was 16, my brother's friend was in a band called Ubis. And like the bands around Calgary at that time, like Zen, Grandpa's Magic Pinecone, uh, Field Day, uh, Everyman, uh, who else was, a, was Wood Pigeon around? Pitch and Woo. There was like all these rad bands. And I thought like, this is the glory day. Like this is just freaking amazing. And they were kind of pushing each other. Like there, there was gig after gig of awesome music every night in this town. None of those bands ever got on the radio.
0: (laughs) Who's the biggest artist to come from Calgary?
1: The biggest artist to come from Calgary. This is, should probably be a really easy one, right?
0: Should be. There's not that many,
1: right? Um, maybe no, aren't they from Montreal? I don't know. Or no, the sweet city woman was from Montreal. Let me see here. Biggest artist. Why? Why? This should just be so much easier.
0: I think I know the answer, but
1: do you? For a second. Yeah. Are you going to let me, see? Because I'm Googling it right now.
0: <laughs> I'm, my guess off the top of my head would be it's probably Tegan and Sarah
1: right now. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'd probably have to go ahead and say so as well.
0: <laughs> They're personal favorites of mine because they sing the uh, national anthem of my people. Go on. It's, everything is awesome.
1: Oh, right, right. <laughs> They sang that? I didn't know that they did that. The Lego yeah.
0: song? Yeah. The, it's them and the Lonely Island. Oh, man. So Adam Sandler and his boys.
1: Right. Um, there's also Kiza. Have you heard of Kiza?
0: Yeah. I actually played poker one night with Kiza. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She was uh, hanging out with some of the Loose Moose people. Nice. Uh, she was always a musician. She, was never, I mean, I don't think she improvised or anything, but I remember running into her a couple times. And uh, she was very charming. She had much more hair back then, and right. it was a different color.
1: I had when no I idea.
0: Specifically, playing poker one night, and uh, you know, being charmed by this, uh, you know, smart young girl.
1: I had no idea that that she had. Like, I remember when I first found out about her, was like, and she's huge already. Oh man, that's cool because I think she blew yeah. up in the UK before she blew up here, right?
0: Yeah, really interesting. I yeah. think. Yeah when i when I saw her, I was like, wow, I don't recognize that person at all. But good for you. Yeah, she might be on that list as well.
1: Yeah. I feel like I've uh, kind of uh, stretched out some rants here on the uh, old Talkie League podcast this week. I feel good. I'm feeling loose and limber. I'm ready to go in, coach. Good. That's what it's about.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of ranting, uh, I was doing some ranting that turned out to be counterproductive uh, early uh, last week, actually. So I get a phone call on a Friday, right? Friday mm-hmm. of the long weekend. And uh, it's this person and the phone call comes from Manitoba. That's all it says on my phone is Manitoba.
1: Oh, so you know it's going to be good.
0: Yeah, it's going to (laughs) be awesome. And uh, no offense to the people of Manitoba, by the way, the National Hockey League fully supports uh, all of Western Canada. And I think they're part of that. I don't really know. Um, Anyways, uh, it's this woman on the phone and she says, I'm calling from Revenue Canada to talk to you about your tax return. But before I can do that, I need you to supply me with three pieces of personal information. Right. So what's my response to this, Roger? I'm guessing you clam right up. <laughs> well, yeah. So I got a phone call that from Manitoba, someone asking me some information. I said, can you give me my account number first?
1: Right. right? Okay, good.
0: Yeah. Give me my. Inf- Can't do it until I know who you are. She says, and I was like, okay, well, here's, what's going to happen. I'm going to call revenue Canada. I'm going to confirm this. And then if, if everything's on the level, then I will uh, answer some questions. She says to me, great, I'll give you a phone number you can call.
1: Okay. That's my response to that. Yeah, right. You. So I'll find my own. Thank you.
0: I will find my own. Thank you. Yeah. Why? Because if you're phone scamming me, all you're doing is giving me your buddy's phone number yeah. so that you can continue your scam. So I call Revenue Canada, surprisingly open at four o'clock on a Friday for <laughs> a long weekend. Shocking. Um. And I get through to them, and sure enough, this phone call is actually on the level. So now I feel terrible because I've, you know, I've gone up and down the side of this poor, you know, phone person who's legitimately calling me on behalf of Revenue Canada. More concerningly, that they're actually dealing with my personal taxes and might now think that I'm being a total jerk to them. Uh,
1: Wow. Okay. First of all, I had no, I really didn't think that that was going to turn out that way, that you were going to say it was a legit phone call. Uh, But surely she has experience dealing with people who are, you know, incredulous to the phone call.
0: Yes. So I I end up getting a hold of Revenue Canada proper Mm -hmm. uh, and say, hey, this is what happened. And she looks at my file and she says, yes, there's a note on here that the person was going to phone you. And this, by the way, this this phone call had happened a few days during the week. We just never answered it because it was some weird phone call from Manitoba. Right. So uh so now I'm just like, oh, I really hope she calls me back today because, you know, I'd rather get this dealt with before the long weekend. So I'm not sweating it, though. I did talk to the person on the phone. It wasn't that I owed a bunch of money or that they were auditing me or anything like that. It was just a discrepancy in in which account I had placed the funds that I had transferred
1: them. OK, so this is a taxes phone call, obviously.
0: This is a ta- absolutely yeah. taxes. Yeah. So uh, so tonight she actually calls back. And I was like, I am so sorry. I need to apologize (laughs) because I did not mean to. You know, you are who you said you were and I'm so sorry. And she's like, oh, you would not even be surprised how many times that happens, right? I mean, yeah. I said, oh, it's too bad there's not something that they can give you, some piece of information they can give you so that people will know you're on the level. But, of course, as soon as they did that, the scammers would start using that too, right? Yeah. She's like, you know what, dude? Don't sweat. She didn't say dude, but you know what? Don't sweat it. It's absolutely fine. And so I apologize three more times. Cause I'm Canadian. Right. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah. It turns out I had, I hadn't claimed as much as I was supposed to. So uh, without making this an even more boring story, uh, we pay uh, installments on our tax, personal taxes because of the way our business is structured. And so I had not claimed all of the money that was in the account. There was more, I had paid them more and said that I had paid them less. And she's like, what do you want us to do with this extra money? And I was like, that's weird. I never have extra money. (laughs) So anyways, we cleared that up. But that's that's my phone scam story.
1: I lo- no, or, or non-scam in this case. Story. Or non-scam story. That sounded like a scam but
0: wasn't.
1: <laughs> See, it's funny because they they could say to you – they could just call you up and go, Hi, uh, this is a telephone – like this should just be a voicemail, right? They shouldn't have a person dedicated to it. They should just say, w- This is Canada Revenue Agency. We have information about your account that has to be resolved by July 30th. Please go online to Canada, Revenue Canada, and telephone the customer service number or whatever, and then just give you the instructions. And then if they just did it that way, very generically, then I'm sure people would go, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm being played. I think I'm going to be inconvenienced, but I don't think I'm being conned here.
0: Yeah, it's tricky. Like It's definitely a challenge that they have to deal with now because any Mm -hmm. kind of contact you get, especially by phone – just sort of, you know, 97% of the phone calls, we have a, a home line still because of children and things. Right. Um, but 97, 97% of the phone calls are some kind of scam or another, right? Right. Other than when the kid's friend's phone. I don't get phone calls anymore and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, scammy mix scamsters out there.
1: Yeah. Why are they calling you? Why aren't they using the mail? You know, first, well,
0: they do that too, but those ones are easy to filter out, right?
1: Yeah, but I'm just saying, I mean, they should be not using the phone. They should be using the, the nationalized postal carriers. I mean, government's got to support each other. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got – the the story reminded me of a time of a phone scam that I got. This is a legit scam. And uh, I had a car on um, that service Leasebusters, right? So I just wanted to get out of the lease. So I tried Leasebusters. didn't work for me. But I'd be curious to know if it worked for anybody. But anyway – so the scam is this: what you do is you go on LeaseBusters and you find cars, and then you call the guy and you say, "I'm so and so with such and such an agency. I have qualified buyers for your car. Uh, all you need to do is uh, transfer money into this account, and then we will, you know, to, to sign up for our service, and then we will da 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 da." So, guy phones me up and he says, "You know, hey Roger, so you got the Hyundai on the LeaseBusters? I've got four qualified buyers for your car. Here's how much our service costs, and uh, you know, we take uh, Visa, Mastercard." Da, da, da. So, or PayPal. So he's basically got it where I've got someone who wants to buy her car, but I sell this service. I hope you understand. So I said to the guy, I said, um, Oh, that's great. And thank you so much. This is so convenient because I've been having such a difficult time selling this car. Now I'll tell you what I'm willing to do. The, the, the value of what you're offering me is not even close to the amount of money that you're asking me for. And I think that that's a shame. Why don't I do this? Since you've got the qualified buyers. I will sell you the car for $3,000 less than I've got it listed for. Then you can sell it for the list price because you said they're qualified. And instead of pocketing $250, you'll pocket $3,000. Now, how about that? Oh, well, that's not quite the way our business works. Oh, hey, I know this seems a little bit, uh, like it's not on the level, but you know, man to man, don't you want to make way more money than $250. <laughs> And then I just kept lowering the price. I'm like, tell you what, five grand. Give me five grand for the car. You pocket the $8,000 and then no one will ever speak of this again. Oh, sir. No, that's not how our business works. And it was just like the funniest phone call for me because I kept him on the line forever. And it was like, dude, at some point, you just have to go, all right, you've figured out that I'm trying to scam you. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Goodbye. But he was like, he was so committed. He was so dedicated to it.
0: And on the flip side of this, that's that's a great story, by the way. Like that, yeah. You could just have the car. I'll just give it to you. Just tell me where you are. I'll drive it over right now.
1: I actually did try to meet him. I was like, you know what? I don't like giving up my credit card over the phone. Where's your office? I'll just come down with cash. I like, oh no. I read a
0: great story online, and I wish I remembered where it's from. If I can find it, I'll put it up on the site. But. Uh, Uh, It was this fellow. who's an improviser, I think. And he got one of these calls and it was like, you know, scam from overseas. And they were like, oh, you need to go and you need to transfer some money into our account. And the guy was like, "Okay, I'm going to go to my bank. I'm heading there right now. Stay on the phone with me. And so he kept the guy on the phone. He's like, "Okay, I'm going into the bank right now. It's like the security guards looking at me kind of funny. I'm going to make sure he backs off. (laughs) Just basically turns it into almost a bank robbery scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Just to mess with the guys, it was it was pretty funny.
1: There's a guy. There's a guy who, who's done that with TED talks about how he uh, strings the Nigerian scammers along. I'll link to one of those in the show notes, but those are always entertaining.
0: I was laughing the other day. Uh, a couple of the the Mormon elders, you know, the the 16 year old elders. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I uh, came to the door and I didn't notice them until I got to the door, and I was like, ah. Oh. You know, and there's this there's this belief people have that you actually have to open your door if someone's standing there, and you don't, you can just turn and walk away and wave and continue on with your day. There's no rule that says you have to open your door, but I'm there, so I opened the door, and they were like, "Oh," and I said, "I said, sorry, guys, not interested," and they turned and walked away.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that story. I think that's, that's entirely fair.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, guys. We just handled this in the most efficient way possible. Right. I'm not wasting your time. You're
1: not wasting mine. <laughs> what does that say about us that we're both like, we both look at situations and go, what's the most efficient thing to do here?
0: <laughs> my time is precious. How could I not spend it talking to that guy?
1: Yeah, like I was, I was walking into the grocery store the other day, and I kind of walking across, you know, the the, the crosswalk that is always in front of the doors, and people are supposed to stop because you're in a parking lot, but they don't always stop. And so this woman, she's just not stopping her car, and I'm not breaking stride. And so I think to myself, I'm going to do something to this woman's car, but I'm not going to do something that's going to make me have to talk to her, because I <laughs> want to go into that store and I want to get what I'm, you know, my like dinner. So I just let her go by and then I slapped the back of her car. She went in and ignored whatever she said to me. (laughs) But it was efficient. (laughs) I got my passive aggressiveness out of the way and then I got into the store. I don't like it when people shout at the Mormons or the JWs when they come to the door. Because in their mind, they're coming over to, to do you a huge favor, right? To introduce you to their religion. And it's like, believe me, I know how that sounds. But in their mind, right? They're like, we're doing a good thing. This is a good, pleasant, positive thing. That's all we're bringing is positivity and peace and love, and irritation surely they know it's irritating but peace love and irritation and uh you know you should try i think elvis
0: costello song isn't it
1: it's great it's one of his best he married diana crawl by the way ruining her music uh and hit and
0: his we can talk about that another time
1: (laughs) so i think that you should just open up the door or or not but if you do open up the door oh hey guys uh thanks very much for coming i'm not interested in having a conversation about this have a pleasant day and then just close the door don't get caught up in the whole like would there be a better time like just close the door and on your way but there's no need to be rude to those people as you were you were polite to them
0: yeah yeah and i love the fact that they didn't argue or they didn't kick up a fuss they just turned yeah okay great okay good fantastic
1: offer them nachos though would like to go (laughs) would you guys take (laughs) these nachos please
0: (laughs) have you been interested to uh, have you been introduced to the word of nacho i'd like to share it with you (laughs)
1: And then make plate them, of tasty cheese. And then make them watch Nacho Libre.
0: Oh, that would be great. Come on in, guys.
1: Movie's just starting. Come on <laughs> in. Draw a thin mustache on your face. Come on now. Let's go. I did watch, uh, by the way. I wanted to follow up with you. I watched Oh Hello on Broadway.
0: Oh, you did? And what did you
1: think? It's hilarious.
0: Oh, so good. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect when I started watching it. And it's this whole like meta take on the Broadway play. Which I thought was brilliant.
1: And I didn't know Steve Martin was in it either.
0: And very funny. And Matthew Broderick.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You could have told me, by the way, that Steve Martin was in it, and it wouldn't have taken me so long to watch it.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, and he's great in there. I don't know how much he knew before he got going, but he plays it pretty straight. So,
1: well, what's it, who are the two comedians, Johnny, John Mulaney and is it Lance Kroll? Uh, Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll. Okay. Lance Carl, he was also on the League,
0: which is a show you should watch if you haven't.
1: Right, he because he loses uh, focus in the Steve Martin segment and he breaks character, and it's really funny. (laughs) He's a pretty, pretty, pretty good comedian. Mm. I gotta say,
0: Uh, both those guys very funny, very quick on the draw. Glad you (laughs) watched.
1: It's a good show. Hey, um, we're getting we're getting close to full time here, and um, I wonder if it's. If it would be unorthodox to revisit something that we talked about earlier in the podcast because we didn't entirely flesh out the uh, the whole concept of strong opinions loosely held. And we could
0: certainly do that. We, we'll, will Johannes take us there?
1: Oh, absolutely. Johannes will take us there. National Autarky League. So sexy it hurts. The idea that you should want to engage in discourse about the country around you, so that you can kind of expand your knowledge, as opposed to just treat it like it's a, uh, you know, a, a game of bludgeoning, uh, which so often it is. But um, that's kind of the, the the you know the underlying thesis of this podcast is strong opinions loosely held. Like we'll tell you what we think, um, and we're more more than pleased to have our minds changed if you've got something better. Does that kind of sum it up?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I find we often maybe agree too much some of the time. It's like, oh, maybe this conversation would be better if one of us said, no, you're being an idiot. But no, I think you're... man. We're friends for
1: like 20 years. Like, what do people expect? We're going to be at each other's throats all the time? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I love the idea that Yes, this is what I think. This is what I believe, but I'm not going to be an asshole about it, right? I will right. talk to you, and if you make a good point that doesn't fit with my team, I can concede that that is a good point, and I can say, "Yeah, no, that's it. That's a great point."
1: I know you asked the question in in a different forum, and I want to hear some some of those responses. But like, I think that it's it's cool to have good examples of of you know that illustrate what we're talking about, um, and. One of my favorites, Thomas Sowell is a, is a, an economist that I really like. Um, you know, he's from the, the Milton Friedman school of economics basically. And, and I just think he says a ton of smart stuff and I love watching his YouTube clips, but he's a communist. Like he, 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 he was a self-described communist when he came out of university and, um, and then some, and now he's like one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent conservative economist in America. And so I remember hearing him asked one time, like, what happened? You know, like, you were a communist. What happened? He said, Oh, I went to work for the government. And that's what he sounds like. I went to work for the government. And, and, and I realized they can't do anything for you. <laughs> this is the problem with, the government. You know, uh, my impression is not that good, but he's fun to listen to sometimes. But no, but he, he basically said, it's like, it's just a gigantic lumbering beast that claims to be helping people but it's not doing it. And he said the most efficient way to get people the resources that they need to actually live a pleasant life is to let them go out there and take care of themselves. And so he's like I you know it took me a little bit of time working for the government to realize that this is not the way to make people's lives better and then now he's a profound conservative economist. That's one of my favorite examples of strong opinions loosely held.
0: Yeah, I mean there's got to be something to be said for for the idea of uh You know, actual debate or actual discourse, because what you see most of the time, especially online where everybody's anonymous and no one has to actually stand behind their point. You know, if you have to put your chin in the line of the foul things you're saying to somebody else, maybe you won't be saying such foul things to them. Right. But on the Internet, nobody knows who you are. So you can mouth off to your heart's content. Um, so yeah, I actually went on, on Reddit. I know we bitch about Reddit, but sometimes
1: we like Reddit too. I really like Reddit, man. I just, the Calgary sub is kind of weird, but I yeah, generally really like Reddit.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. I go in there sometimes and, oh, there was, I could share this story cause it's, it's germane to the conversation. It's also Tito to the conversation, <laughs> possibly Marlon to the conversation. Wow. Definitely Michael to the conversation. Run him down. Nice. Um, so uh, I went on there a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about someone had posted a picture of a dog. They were like, "I'm on this bus, and so is this dog." And I was like, "Oh, interesting." And people were like, "Yay, they let dogs be on the bus." And I was like, "Man, I hope there's no allergy sufferers." I I can't remember if we talked about this on the show sure, or not, yeah. but, You know, I hope there's no allergy sufferers on. And I was downvoted into oblivion because apparently the ultra lefty people hang out in the <laughs> r calgary sub can't handle people you know disagreeing with them about whether cute doggies should be allowed on a bus or not
1: yeah um Okay. I'm not just going to get into the whole peanuts in schools thing. And it's like, cause I just, changed, oh, yeah. I just changed my allergy medicine and I'm really happy finally. Like I no longer have searing eyes, itchy throat. You'll know if you compare 20 to 19, episode 20 to episode 19, I know I no longer sound like I had my nose stuffed with cork. <laughs> so yeah
0: we did talk about this. I, I, I can never remember whether we talk about things on the show or just amongst ourselves. <laughs> right. But I think we talked about the idea that you were, you were on a plane and someone had a cat and it. Yeah. It, it affected
1: you. Yeah. Right? Well, it ruins my flight. I'm allergic to cats. Right. So I immediately get like itchy eyes, itchy nose, itchy mouth. And you know, it's like, I've just got to deal with it. My response in that is to just complain about it on a podcast instead of standing up and going, why the hell? Okay. Where's the cat? <laughs> don't put this plane down. I'm getting rid of this thing. Like, I don't, I don't understand why that's allowed, but oh well, we don't treat so, all allergies the same. So I
0: I brought this up as a point to, to talk about the whole, the, the Reddit concept and the discourse. And it's like, oh, oh yes. Yeah, so the, the left, and I'm going to pick on the left for a minute. Cause we picked on the right also tonight, but uh, you know, the people on the alt left who are all very like, oh, we're the most open-minded people. We think everyone should get along unless you disagree about dogs. And then you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> right. That's That kind of bothers me a little bit, right? Uh, yeah, no, we're a 100%. Oh, yes, transgender. You can't make fun of those people. You can't make fun of gay people. But if you disagree with me about dogs, that is it. We are done. Uh, anyways, went over the line there. Sorry. Anyway, so yeah, I, I asked a question about the civility of Canadian politics and how generally we seem to be a bit more civil than Americans when they discuss their politics. It's very divided right now. So maybe that's something to do with it. Uh, and anyways, these people didn't ask to be – they didn't qualify themselves to a radio podcast, nor did I mention it. So I'm not going to mention any names of anybody. But uh, I thought there were some interesting points that people made. Uh, one person said the media landscape is totally different in this country. We don't have a First Amendment. But more importantly, we don't have a Fox News. So the role of non-truth in the political media is now just starting to be a problem. Uh, unless you travel there. Sorry, go on. I've uh- –
1: uh, just I just totally disagree with everything this person or said. Or so really p- far.
0: Yeah. Sorry, what did you say? There? Well,
1: I just said I totally disagree with everything that person just said. <laughs> but please continue. So I didn't mean to get irate. Sorry, I couldn't hear you because I was talking and you
0: <laughs> uh, Unless you travel there often or are really big into media studies, it's almost difficult to fathom the totally parallel media landscape the right has built, going all the way back to the late '80s. Why this has sort of ha- happened? Why this happened is sort of beyond the scope here, but it certainly has a major
1: effect. I think that's completely um I think that person has it, it doesn't smell his or her own bullshit. <laughs> um so look, I think th- that they make an entirely valid case about how like if you look at Rush Limbaugh and the empire that he's constructed for right-wing media in the US um then yeah it goes back a long way and that narrative has uh, been very dismissive of progressives and, 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 uh, you know, demeaning and condescending and, you know, all of the things. Um, but the notion though, that that doesn't exist in Canada or that, that like, you know, like we've had, we had Dave Rutherford in Calgary for a very long time and it's not like that was a straight down the middle talk show. Um, you know, or, uh, you could look at, at, at any number of CBC hosts, uh, you know, and, and, or most of the political talk radio or columnists, even in, in national newspapers. The Sun. Yeah, right. So it's, that's kind of silly to infer or to, to insinuate rather that, um, we don't have a similar landscape. Now, look, it's to the nth degree in the United States. That's like the big leagues. So yeah, they're going to do it, you know, 10 times. Um, uh, bigger and better than really anybody else in the world. But on the other side of that, like, what's that BS about we don't have the First Amendment? Like, no, we do well, have freedom of press and freedom of speech, though, which is the First Amendment. So, I mean, yeah, yeah you're it's right. It's we don't
0: just, have- not, just not enshrined in that particular format, I think, is all he's getting at. But,
1: yeah. Right. But we have the same rights. We just don't wave the same document in the air when we go to court to defend them.
0: Correct. Um, this other fellow said, or could be a a lady, let's think of it as a lady. She says, I would say that Canadians tend to be less attached to their political parties. There's also a lot of religion involved in us politics, which entrenches a lot of people, makes them believe their side is morally correct. It becomes part of their identity. What do you feel about that?
1: I don't think that, that religious morality on the side of progressives matters at all. I've never heard of somebody thinking it's their God, uh, God sent duty to go vote Democrat.
0: But certainly on the Republican side tends to be the the side of the, the, the religious. Yeah. Right? Tr-
1: listen, churches are political organizations, man. Like, uh, you know, when I moved to Vancouver, I was trying to find a church to belong to for a little while. And I would go to one and go to one. And I finally found one that I felt like, okay, this is kind of cool. I fit in and I could see myself wanting to be a part of this community. And then they instructed us in this church. The, the minister or whomever she was instructed us to bring in our uh, ballots, our mail-in ballots, and the church would destroy them. For, and it was, it wasn't a kooky church. It was like a united church, but they, it was about this one, like this, it was a, it was a referendum on something. And I I just remember I'm like, wow, you know, usually the problem is that the politicians are too churchy. Now the church is too politicsy. That's weird. And that's, that's honestly the last time I set foot in a church with any earnest desire to join the community.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah. It was kind of sucked, but, but anyway, they're political outfits, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, this one was interesting. It's from, uh, this person's from Alberta. Uh, so they might be listening. Who knows? Uh, it says we have more than a oh, in response to a first person who had said, I'm sure having the 2.5 party system helps out a fair bit. So their point being that because there's more than two parties, it's not just us versus them. I guess my response would be really. Look back at the voting. <laughs> look who's look been <laughs> the prime minister. Is it really not just us versus them? I don't know. Right. Uh, anyways, the reply was, we have more than a 2.5 system. Canadian parties regularly split and merge small parties uh, and merge, and small parties regularly sweep into power, displaying the dynamic nature of our parliamentary democracy. This is most visible at the provincial level, the NDP in Alberta, the Parti Québécois in Quebec, and the coalition government in British Columbia. Federally, we could see it when the PCs and Reform Alliance split and remerged into the federal Conservatives. So that's an interesting point, and I would go further and say we have a situation where sometimes people will vote one way provincially and a different way federally.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. When I lived in BC, I voted liberal, right? Cause that was the more, most conservative choice that you could make there at the time. Cause they were coming out of the NDP government and it was like their conservative party in BC was a joke. There were nothing to speak of. So Gordon Campbell was like the conservative choice for, for leader. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that's weird because if we're just like opening, if this was, if you just landed on earth and you got to vote in the election, uh, you would, you would open up the dictionary and look at liberal and go, Oh yeah, this is. This this guy is with the Liberal Party. It makes sense. He wants to liberate a lot of some of the taxation and the trade and – anyway, it's like an old trope <laughs> about how our, our party names don't really mean what the party stands for. But um, I guess I buy that to some extent, what that person said about – but yeah, it's still us versus them though, right? You just kind of redefine what us is when it gets too ambiguous and then you redefine who them is to suit your us definition.
0: So it's interesting too. Do you think that Americans would be confused when we tell them that we have a a party called the Progressive Conservatives?
1: <laughs>
0: Since that's literally the two sides of their scale.
1: Right. And yeah, it's – I well, well, we talked about the word progressive on this podcast before, right? And how I don't know why that's a bad thing. And I also don't know why a lot of the so-called progressives um, would call a lot of their ideas progressive when they are obviously regressive – uh in, in in to some extent so yeah the the I, there's a great you know I'll share this I I read this essay on Twitter and man it took a long time because twitter's a really shitty place for the long form written word but um it we we don't we've lost so much sight of the history of what our political uh parties have done or like what what political ideology is and you really should go back to the the French Revolution and look at what was happening at the time and then how conservatism was this centrist movement we want to preserve some tradition but not to the point where it impedes progress so let's just take a measured approach to make sure that as a people we're always better off tomorrow than we were yesterday and that's kind of what conservatism is rationality you know being reasonable but we've completely bastardized it in the north american context over the past couple of centuries to the point where now it's sort of like conservatism in 2017, I guarantee you, it looks nothing like conservatism did in 1917 in in either country. And that's a real problem. So if, if, if you were to just like ask, just poll people on the street in the USA today, which party freed the slaves? Which of the parties freed the slaves? What do you think they would say?
0: Well, most people would say it was the Democrats.
1: Right. And then they'd be shocked to find out that that's not correct. It's the Republicans.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think it's it's pretty interesting that uh, it gets to the point where we define these things and we say, I'm this or I'm that. And really in Canada, I think one of the big differences is that regardless of what party, you know, a lot of the big social issues, everybody agrees on. We don't have quite as much of, or I shouldn't say everybody agrees on, but the majority tend to agree on. Okay. Right. Yeah. Nobody's been trying to repeal abortion in Canada.
1: Wow. Never okay. heard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Am I sorry? Am I wrong? Well, I, I mean, in the in the last conservative leadership race, there were a couple guys who mentioned that it should come up and we should get some laws in there that make it illegal. But
0: no, not. But none, none of the parties, none of the the rulers, sure, yeah, none of the none of the par- ruling parties have have ever made a, an effort on that half. Right. right. Whereas in the states, they'll you know, in a heartbeat, they'll be going after it, right? They already are. They're trying to change all the you know, the 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 new uh the new healthcare bill basically says, oh, if your if your insurance carrier, if your insurance plan includes any kind of abortion related stuff, it is no longer funded by our program. Right. So it could be a direct shot, right? So I mean I'm not trying to get into that issue or anything, but just the point being more that even when we disagree, the things we disagree on don't tend to be that vast of, of an issue, just how to get to the goal. Right. Jen, is that wrong? Do we generally agree on where we want to go? It's just a difference on how we get there. No,
1: I think you're, I think you're generally correct. I. You're just, it's kind of picking at a wound that I have. Like, you know, it's, it's my, it's my issue with the dialogue around gay straight alliances in, in schools in Alberta. Right. Is that you can't just dismiss the notion that parents want to know what's going on with their kids. like, you know, so my, my whole, the way I've, I sleep at night just fine, believing that, yeah, you, you, that I'm okay with parents having their right to know what their kids are up to restricted. Like, I'm okay with that trade-off. Like, I'm pro-gun. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not pro-gun. I'm not anti-gun ownership, right? Um, but I am okay with you having to go prove that you can handle a firearm and you, and there's laws around it. So it's sort of like, it's the, it's the bargains and the trade-offs, right? Um, so when I look at like the hobby lobby case in the U S about like, you know, how far they should go to provide people with certain types of healthcare coverage that go against their moral judgment, uh, I kind of think, hey, that's a private company. Like no one has to work there. And ultimately they're the ones who don't have to pay to, you know, give their, their staff benefits. So, you know, should, who should get to stipulate what they do? I, that's, that's some pretty squishy Squishy ground that I try to stay. You on get into
0: trouble pretty fast there though. Cause then they could say, well, we're not big fans of having disabled people work here. Should that be okay?
1: Well, I know,
0: <laughs> right. That's why I'm saying you could very quickly get into trouble with that kind of an argument. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, one thing I found really interesting. So today, I think it was today that it was announced, but the, uh, the NDP government here in Alberta Came out and said, hey, guys, we're changing the rules about patios. I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, they're saying, yeah, you don't have to have those fences up anymore.
1: Oh, wow. Perfect.
0: Yeah. And so it was interesting because people were like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. Yay. This is so awesome. And I was like, Okay, but was it that big of a deal like this? It really smacks of being a partisan thing. We're going to announce this in Calgary during the stampede. You're welcome. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but I was like,
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a bigger deal from a business owner's standpoint. But I was like, really? It's it, The fences weren't that big. Is, is this really that big of a deal that everybody's like, you know, up, yay, hooray?
1: Well, the way I initially thought about it was the cost of building a patio in front of your establishment as opposed to the cost of going to Ikea and getting two folding tables and eight folding chairs and make, and just putting them out on the sidewalk in front of your place right so that's that's how i i thought of it um but yeah i can't imagine that the ship and anchor is going to remove their side their fences around their patio tomorrow just because they now can do that
0: and and like wasn't part of the deal i guess in my head the reason you'd have that rule is so that people can't grab their beer and walk off down the street with it right that it was
1: contained so now let's talk about that what's wrong with that have you ever seen a, a young – a couple in their 40s having a bottle of wine and sandwiches in the park on a Sunday and thought to yourself, oh, shit, run. <laughs> well,
0: I'm not opposed to it at all. But right. I guess the, the thing that – the point I'm making is that that was the reason that they had that rule. So right. are they also going to change the open container law? Because if not – Aren't you sort of removing the thing that helped you enforce that?
1: Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're doing. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Is that they're they're saying, "Hey, if we take the fences down, we can write a whole lot more tickets for these uh, other crimes."
0: <laughs> so it's a money making plan.
1: Hey, hey, the government needs money always. does.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. Um, yeah, no, we should get uh, we should get some people who know about the money.
1: We should get some
0: economists or something on the podcast to talk. Budget with us, I think.
1: Oh, really? You know, here is what I would. I like it. First of all, that satisfies me. It's just when you said that I was like, I, "Is that what people want?" <laughs> well, like, don't
0: you think if people, if someone, someone in the know, explained things in a very simple way that yes. people could get, don't you think that would be helpful to people? Because a lot of people just tune out because they're like, "I don't know about money."
1: One hundred percent. I'm effing sick and tired of hearing people conflate um, transfer payments, right? Alberta sends millions of dollars to Quebec every year. No, we don't. We pay income taxes. Right. Then Quebec gets more money from the feds than Alberta gets from the feds.
0: Yeah. We don't literally actually write a check or anything.
1: No, we don't. And so I don't like to have someone to have like a Trevor Toom come on and uh, the economist out of UFC there to have him come on and just say, okay, you know, we have a lot of time in the podcast format. There's no commercials coming up. Tell us how transfer payments work. Why, why most people just don't seem to get it and what the point of it was in the first place. I don't agree with it. By the way, I think it's kind of junk, but I mean, look, the federal, the federal government collects income tax from all Canadians and then is aims to distribute it, you know, in various ways back to the country, right? Like they're going to spend the money on citizens. So I think that. That the only good thing I can say right now about transfer payments is rather than having Team Trudeau guess how money can best be spent in Alberta or BC, it seems to me to make the most sense to just give a big check to BC or Alberta and say, do with this as you will. But I think that, um, that explanation goes well to explain how kind of stupid and inefficient our whole taxation structure is. You know, we, yeah, we should be paying a lot more money to the city of Calgary and a lot less to the nation of Canada.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's a lot of the problems aren't that we don't have enough money. It's just the money that we have is maybe being used correctly or properly. I mean, not to say that Alberta doesn't have a giant glaring revenue problem right now. Um, And the current government's plan to uh, solve that problem is to spend a lot of money.
1: (laughs) Right. Man, my back is sore. I can't carry another. <laughs> but yeah, well, we've, and I, you know what? By the way, I emptied this chamber on last month or last week's podcast talking about how we got to get away from income tax and get into consumption tax. Like, look at how many people are here from out of town that aren't getting taxed on, on, on the time they're spending or the infrastructure they're using here, right? Like. You know, you go down to the stampede grounds or just look at people wandering around downtown or tourists who are, who are adding to the congestion on the roads and they're not paying for it. So like, doesn't it just sort of seem to make sense that if at the till there was an extra eight cents out of every dollar tacked onto goods. And by the way, if you're a, a citizen of the glorious province of Alberta, uh, you get, you're compensated with a reduction in your income tax. Like maybe I'll see if, I, if Trevor Toom agrees with that too we should we should we should see if we can get him on before we start giving him more questions to answer,
0: yeah, that'd be great. I mean, yeah, people should be paying an extra fifty cents on the deep fried jello they're buying down at the Stampede <laughs> what <Street. is> that?
1: <laughs> oh man uh dave uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the twentieth uh episode of the National Talkie League podcast,
0: as did I, I would like to make a minimum of twenty more.
1: All right. Well, we're well underway.
0: This is five months, by the way. I don't know if we've done exactly one a week, but if we have,
1: we're at 20. So five months. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, you know what? We say it at the end of every podcast, but it it means uh, just as much to us every time. Thank you so much. Um, Dave, Dave tracks the stats pretty closely of you know the downloads and who's listening, how long you're listening and stuff like that. And the podcast continues to grow. And so we are – taking it a lot more seriously from week to week. As far as our planning goes, we've got a few things up our sleeves. Um, and you know, we really, we can't say enough two things. One, how much we appreciate you, um, supporting us, giving us the five-star reviews or telling, uh, you know, writing a review like the one we read earlier in the podcast, which is now going to be like our, our, subheading on the website, I think. Um, But also when you give us feedback, either on our Facebook page or directly uh, via email telling us stuff you like or questions you'd like us to explore on the National Talkie League podcast, it all means a lot to us.
0: For instance, like Biggie Footy who said, Roger and Dave make me laugh out loud each week. I'm glad they've taken on the monumental task of educating the masses on proper traffic protocol too. Johannes is the icing on the cake. (laughs)
1: National Talkie League. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. I think we got to send and, uh, a little bit more money to Johannes for some new tape. And yeah, and as
0: Roger was saying before, yeah, any kind of feedback you have is awesome. Uh, we've had a couple guests on the show recently. Uh would be great to hear what you think about that. Do you like it when we have extra talkies on? Are you not a fan? Uh, what do you dig? What do you not dig? We can take it. Uh, if you want to do it privately, if you're afraid of, you know, public mockery, we would never do that to you, but other listeners might. Go ahead and uh, you can mail us at uh, mail at league.com or you can message us directly off the Facebook page. We love hearing from you. We love chatting with you and laughing it up. And, uh, yeah, thanks. It's been it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed doing this.
1: All right, cool. Uh, we'll catch you again next week. It'll be episode number 21. Dave will have uh, wild tales from the road that he can share with us. And uh, I, I, will, I, I will have a burr under my saddle. Uh, that's a stampede. Pun sort of thing uh, that uh, that I'll have to uh, you know get out of my throat. Uh, I'm going to edit that actually and make it sound a lot less disgusting. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you again next time.